0: Welcome to Awakening the Body, conversations around sexuality, psychedelics, trauma, shame, acceptance, and loving self-kindness. How can we bravely co-create safe enough spaces for our erotic and ecstatic selves to emerge and flourish, opening up to radical self-love for our weird, wonderful, and full beingness? I'm your host, Rachel Charlie somatic sex educator living in Jojoge, Montreal, on the unceded indigenous lands of the Gongyong Mohawk Nation. This is the third episode, a conversation with Mehdi around embodiment, touch, and non-ordinary states of consciousness. In this conversation, you will learn a bit about Mehdi's work, which has been developed over many years' experience in different modalities that he brings all together in his own unique offering, specialising in trauma and sex. He is currently writing a book distilling the wisdom of his practice and learnings. You can learn more about his work on his website, which I've included in the show notes. Mehdi has been on the faculty at the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education, where I did my training, and has also been a mentor to me. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Mehdi. You've come you. all the way from Victoria in BC to Montreal, and it's a pleasure to have you in my little home. Thank you. And having this conversation. Yeah. Mehdi has been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. He specializes in trauma and sex. Mehdi has graduate degrees in counseling psychology and art therapy, training in sandplay therapy sexological bodywork, and somatic sex education. He lives in Nanaimo and works with clients in person and online everywhere. Mehdi's approach is based on connecting people with their authentic self and pleasure and finding creative solutions towards consensual and pleasurable relationships. His clientele includes adults with histories of trauma and couples with sex and relationship challenges. So that's... um large lifetime of working with people in various capacities that all seem to work together, maybe in the work that you currently do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when I look back, I see that actually long before that, maybe from when I was four or five, <laughs> I had, I mean, I can connect to those points in my life where very important elements of the work that I do were present. Mm-hmm. I had was connected with them, of course, not in a conscious, cognitive way, but in a sort of a, some ways you can say spiritual, but I don't want to make it sort of highfalutin like that. Mm-hmm. It was a full connection with that idea of, for example, of, of the body of something beyond that I was in contact with, and I didn't quite know it. And as I grew up, I, my interest in art grew and I was stayed connected with it because some there was something in it that gave me some sort of sense of aliveness and throughout my art activity and education I was fascinated by the human body how it was how it existed in space and what it was expressing mm-hmm. um and then and then the thing that 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 built a sort of a solid basis for my work then I entered into the more emotional, psychological, and later spiritual connection with the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had a sort of very solid physical sense of it through drawing it so often and sculpting it so often, and I had a real body sense in myself of the human body, the human form, mm-hmm. um, in a way that went beyond just what it looks like.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a couple
0: of questions around that. That step from the curiosity about the body into more psychology and emotions isn't necessarily a logical step for mm-hmm. a lot of people. So how how was that a logical step for you?
1: Well, I don't know if it was, I mean, looking back, i say, yeah, it made sense. It was meant to be or whatever. You know, it brought me to the right place. But it wasn't something I decided on in advance. When I look at it, I see it as yes, I was interested in the body throughout my childhood into early adulthood when I went into um art therapy and so sort of art education and then art therapy. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of the way my body was treated, the experiences of my own body that were at times painful
2: mm-hmm.
1: physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. um, trauma or neglect. Mm-hmm or experiences of pleasure mm-hmm. those things brought my attention more sort of more focused into my body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then i think unconsciously i was treating the body as yeah this is interesting i like to draw it i like to I like to look at it i like to touch it and so on but then it slowly became obvious to me then I, I had its interest also to know people to sort of to work with people. So I had this sense that there's something going on under the surface mm-hmm. that I like to be able to see. Mm-hmm. And that sort of that couldn't quite name it. But then when I found art therapy, mm-hmm. I started to slowly make the connection between what appears, the image mm-hmm. on, on the surface, the image. I don't mean like necessarily drawing, but just this sort of a material manifestation mm-hmm. of, of, of an expression. And then something else that is going on in the person or in between us, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was fascinating to me. I knew there was a connection between that and the body, Mm -hmm. how we felt in our body, how we existed, Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. the experience was was in the body, what what we were storing in the body, Mm -hmm. and this existence and the psychological emotional level, there was a direct connection for me, so. I'm I'm still trying to figure it out more and more in, in <laughs> details but uh, yeah that was that's the sort of the logical connection for me when I look back again yeah
0: yeah lots of questions there I'm tailing back to the previous thing we were talking about and I'm really curious you say some experiences you had as a child yeah and I'm just curious if any particular one of them stands out that you'd want to share
1: the experiences that I had were, um, and this, this is something that, I mean, I, I, ne- I remembered a couple of instances of um, unwanted touch mm-hmm. by adults. I remembered experiences of um, witnessing violence, quite a bit of violence. In, in my environment. And those things impacted my my body and my sense of safety in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, experience of being um, constantly bullied in my uh, childhood, mm-hmm. in my, especially in my elementary school, and and all those things. But then when, these are my sort of experiences that I was aware of. Mm. And then later on when I got into uh, working as uh, a therapist, mm. I was, um, I chose to be a child psychotherapist. So mm. I was working with children starting from the age of, I guess, you know, the youngest age I worked with was two years old mm. and up. And through those experiences and sort of being aware of the history of the child, the things that adults were saying about the child and the reasons the child were there, the children were there. And, um, i started to reverse engineer my own history mm-hmm. and realize that oh these behaviors might be coming from such and such events and i had some of these behaviors therefore the chances are that i experienced similar things and mm-hmm. so there were things that i dis- discovered mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. on so sort i of had guesses at mm-hmm. um through my profession so and i think all of those things brought my focus more into the body because mm-hmm. when i looked back again i realized that i had lived in a in a disembodied dissociated mm-hmm. um, space mm-hmm. for or state for gosh for a long time for a very long time until into my till the, the, the birth of my first child Suddenly, I, I sort of something came to me. Something happened. It's like, oh, again, it was a sense. It wasn't a conscious thing. And I still realized this is, this is, I, I'm looking back. I see that that was one way of reentry into my sense of my own body, how my breath was when I was with my child, mm-hmm. how I could be. Calm and calming to my child mm-hmm. and how I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So that sort of brought my attention to, okay, mm-hmm. this is my body and this is how I am with mm-hmm. another body that I care about. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, the, the events that experienced, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I experienced with my body. Yeah. And, and there were some, um, Those are more painful, more traumatic experiences. There was also um, pleasurable experiences that I remembered. But again, in the culture that I grew up in, and also I think in almost most cultures, pleasure is not Mm -hmm. something that is encouraged or invited. Mm -hmm. And so it was always sort of a, um, let's say, shrouded in Mm -hmm. secrecy and shame and Mm -hmm that that kind of thing so mm. yeah
0: thanks i'm curious about the pleasurable experiences and i'll tell you why i'm curious about that because i do have some particular early memories Of pleasure and of a really expanded sense of self that are kind of pivotal for me in my own personal growth and sense of like those memories for me are a support Mm -hmm. in a way. They're kind of like, oh, I felt like that. I can feel like this now. Like they're just kind of like grounding points Mm -hmm. for me. And I'm wondering if you had any of those.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there there was, there wasn't, there was a memory that was. It was sort of like a like a fixed image in my mind forever. Mm-hmm. I remembered it always, but I didn't quite know what the meaning of that. I, I sort of associated some meaning to it, mm-hmm. but I wasn't quite sure like what was behind it. And that was a memory about when I was about three or four years old. And I was with my mother. I still can see the room. Kind of, have a sense of the room we were in. Mm-hmm. I was sitting next to my mother, and my mother was like young, young mother. She was speaking, and there was like there's three other women, but probably family, you know, uh, relatives. And she told them how funny it was that I would take my clothes off at night, and they would find me naked in the morning, and they laughed. And I was this. I had. I, I remember this sort kind of sense of sort of shame. Coming over me, it's like, no, that's, I shouldn't be like that. I shouldn't do that. Obviously, this is not good. Years later, probably, um, I was maybe about 50, 50, 50 54, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. i f- I found out through a, my sort of my mindful self pleasure practice, I found out that that connection with my body was actually connecting me with something um, beyond me, something transcendental. That as a four-year-old, I could understand it.
2: Uh
1: Mm. Right? Yeah. And I got disconnected from it. And because I got disconnected from it, I lived that dissociated life for a very long time.
2: Mm.
1: Which brings me to this idea of My fascination with those states of mind that are so peaceful and open and receptive and connected, Mm -hmm. which I sort of know them as non-ordinary states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And my, I think my first awareness of those states professionally was watching children creating scenes in uh, sand trays. That they, they they didn't, they did not know anything about before they entered. They just knew, saw the toys. They saw this little box filled with sand. It's like an 18 by 24 inches, um, kind of box, shallow, about two inches deep. And they would start creating scenes intuitively. Because children don't, you know, maybe they decide to tell a story, but they, they, they sort of improvise and they sort of, they go with their impulses as they go. And 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 I saw that they would create things that were meaningful beyond anything. <laughs> uh, and they would be telling a story on the surface and then and underneath it, I could see a sort of another layer and a deeper metaphorical story that was, that would in no way they would know consciously what that meant. But it made a lot of sense in the context of their life. Yeah. So that told me that they enter this almost hypnotic state mm. where they can sort of tell a story in a sort of a dreamlike state. Mm. They just take these figurines off the shelf and express it, give body to this feeling that is there. And that was that was fascinating to me. How we enter those states. Over time, it gave me the understanding that children are actually or they live in that state almost constantly. I mean, we try through parenting, we try to bring them into this reality. It's like, Mm -hmm. pay attention, Mm -hmm. look at this. Mm -hmm. This is not how you behave. Do this, do that. Oh, good for you, and so on. We bring them into this. This is how you interact, how you you are Mm -hmm. here, how you should be here, Mm -hmm. where the child is mostly there, not here.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, I think that's sort of the process of life we start from there and we slowly grow into this reality and we, some of us get stuck here yeah yeah and and uh yeah so i'm fa- i'm really fascinated by those oh. by those states and how we can enter those more consciously more intentionally
2: mm-hmm.
1: to bring more material and meaning back mm-hmm. into this mm-hmm. life
0: when you say that it feels like perhaps an easeful way to be an adult in the world is to be in this like um, really functional place, but have the capacity to move between different states mm-hmm. in a way that suits what we're engaging in in the moment mm-hmm. so that we can be eminently practical and um, task focused as well as then using the non-ordinary states of being to bring in problem-solving, creativeness, joy, celebration, mm-hmm. ritual. Yes,
1: yeah. absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, 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 what I want to say is that um, I like to operationalize this spirituality stuff so that we can consciously, intentionally access those states. Because I think those are states that are meaningful, that we can bring important, like you say, the creative energy, creative force into our lives and find solutions and do better. Because we need to live in this reality and interact with, with each other. And in order to do that, I just want to give you an example of this, this man I was listening to. Sort of, he, he is a teacher of meditation. And I, I just found them a couple of days ago, and I was listening to one of his videos this morning. It was, it was describing to one of his students who was stuck in sort of this meaning of or her struggle with attaining enlightenment, and what that was, and so on. And the way he described was so beautiful and eloquent, and I could hear that she was still struggling grasp how that what that was like. And I can see that that that's one way of giving form and structure to that process of reaching that state of being. But for me, there's a more practical, more sort of pragmatic, more uh um experiential way of getting there, and that's through the body. Mm-hmm. Because I believe our bodies my body is the only thing I've, I've got, I've truly got. If I lose everything, this is the only thing I have. And if I don't have it, then I'm gone. And everything that I experience, I experience with my body. Even though in my mind, in my brain, I think this is, this is the seat of my life and power and understanding and consciousness. But well, that's, not, that's not really where it's at. Like I said, my, my, I started to experience myself, or sort of get closer to who I was and understand myself better as I re-entered my my body, reconnected with my with my body in a tangible physical way, through my breath, mm. through my movement, feeling my sensations, how it felt to be in my body, mm. physically. And that is the way, and the more we are there, the more fully we are in our bodies, the more embodied we are, the closer we are to that state of connection and openness and receptivity. Mm-hmm. I think Our bodies can become a sort of like a receiver mm. of these waves, of, of a receiver of a direct knowledge, yeah. I think. And that's, you know, that's the ex- experience of many people who go through more directly through uh, a psychedelic experience, through uh, mm-hmm. plant medicine and other chemical substances. Mm-hmm. I think it also can be achieved through other ways, that are mm-hmm. through dreaming, hypnosis, through touch, yeah. through breath work, and so on and so forth. Yeah.
0: And I think it's also a really authentic longing for so many of us. And for me also, it's, it's this longing towards, um, language is hard, not because there is no language for it but because it means different things to different people like a longing for wholeness mm-hmm. right For mm-hmm. me that that resonates with actually what enlightenment actually is the, the sense of w- what is that wholeness mm-hmm. It feels like wholeness
1: mm-hmm. I agree with that and I, I think this um, what I was saying earlier on about the children how they are in that whole, Holistic state, mm-hmm. and then we, we slowly bring them out of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Although it has a mental cognitive aspect to mm-hmm. it, it also has a physical aspect mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. uh, which is if you think of babies, how they are made and they're grown in the womb, and how they're born, and as they are born, how they exist in mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. And that relationship is really first and foremost, based on touch mm-hmm. with, let's say, with the mother. And it's through the skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the physicality of it, I think it's important, that the yeah. baby receives everything through that body, through that skin. And over time, the baby makes meaning of what touch means. It means connection. It means Nourishment, it means warmth, it means care, safety, mm. security, mm. purpose. It's all those things that we receive in a physical way mm. and slowly evolve onto emotional, mental, cognitive, and eventually spiritual. So, and as we grow up, that skin becomes the boundary and that's sort of more than just a physical boundary. Mm-hmm. It becomes that. Sort of, uh, the, the skin, the, the ego, the sense of self and the, what separates me from you. Mm, mm. And that separation, I think that's key in what you're saying in sort of the, the urge towards wholeness. Yeah. I want to lose that skin.
2: Mm.
1: And I will eventually lose it when I, when I leave the planet. Mm, mm. But in this life, if I can lose that skin in a, let's say in a spiritual or, or emotional way, mm. then I can sort of dissolve in or, or, Yes, so I can not feel separate Mm
2: -hmm. from
1: an other, Mm -hmm. to feel that I am one. So that sense of oneness, I think that's something where we came from Mm -hmm. and we long to go back Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. So in terms of operationalizing this, (laughs) moving back into oneness, I think the skin and the body and touch, and of course, pleasure Mm -hmm. is the way.
0: It's interesting when you talk about losing the skin. I don't know if you've come across this, but Janet M. Hardy, who was co-author of um, the poly book, what was it called again? Um, Brain.
1: Is it The Ethical Slut? The ethical Slut, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, author of a lot of things. But this autobiography, which was written only a few years ago, it was all about a process of actually losing the skin and what it took to get her skin back again mm. through entering into non-ordinary space in what became a quite, um, she could be, I think there was a story, she could be like in a community dance group and all of a sudden she was in this space of everythingness. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people describe that space as like orgasm. Not everybody, it's particular language, but it's, it's a relationship to it and it's like, oh, if I'm going into this while I'm driving the car and doing practical things, perhaps I need my skin back.
1: right yes, yes it's the sort of the connection between that state and orgasm that some people use is it's interesting because I believe that I mean again, going back to babies, babies always move towards what is pleasurable mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um the warmth is gives pleasure and nourishment gives pleasure and mm-hmm. holding and protection gives pleasure. And it's understandable that we move towards pleasure because that protects and cultivates life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think pleasure is actually the fuel cell mm-hmm. of life. And the more pleasure we have, the more energy we have, and mm-hmm. the more energy we have, the more pleasure we seek, and mm-hmm. so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And that state of oneness mm. I think the ultimate is the ultimate pleasure because there is absolute peace it's absolute yeah. flow yeah. there is no sense of past or future everything is here mm. and there's no worries there's no there's nothing mm. Mm. So if, if I look at it that way, it follows that if I go through the body mm. and follow the pleasure mm. and by following the pleasure I mean the pleasure that is present in the moment, and genuinely it's something that I am sensing in this moment and not something that I think I should be feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Or maybe manufacturing as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an honest connection with in the moment. Yeah. Between what uh, my sort of self-reflective mm-hmm. faculty and my my body. And if I follow that, pleasure. Mm-hmm it will lead me slowly more and more and more to higher and higher levels. Mm. And at some point, I will enter that orgasmic state. Mm. How I see that is is a state where the creative energy flows freely.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Again, it's like the physical aspect of it is that, yeah, it's the climaxing th- during sex, but then the other aspect of it is this creative force that mm. comes through mm. and you can create a baby with it, or you can create art with it, Mm -hmm. or you can create this amazing state uh, between yourself and others. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And I really love this way of describing it. It really resonates with me personally, like my own personal journey with different psychedelics, um, with being a creative person. I was a musician for a lot of my life. and other other ways like with touch with with so many things i found has been really a particular especially in psychedelic spaces where it's been mm, unmistakable it's this real connection to this orgasmic state of of this of just like it's it feels like this deep connection with pleasure mm-hmm. and life force energy and i know that i'm still this rachel It's a very different place for me to be in. And when I'm doing this in all of the ways that I've mentioned, when I feel like I'm being held in a container or I can hold the container myself, there's a safety. So it feels like this journey for me, which has been a really ongoing, deep one, is repairing some of those longings that I had as a child that were mixed with pain and fear mm-hmm. and terror, physical violence, psychological, spiritual violence, mm-hmm. sexual violence. Yeah, so it feels like this is actually the repair work that's that's happening so that I can have that connection again and restore it to what mm-hmm. it always is.
1: I think that's that's a beautiful way of putting it. For me, the the experience of the natural experience of pleasure mm. that is the natural process of life, mm. unfortunately, it gets disrupted yeah. by ignorance and by violence, by mm-hmm. neglect. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates the impact of trauma mm-hmm. in the body. And it makes sense to me that to, to repair that, to re, to sort of to reestablish to reinstate that mm. pleasure process to uh, to bring the body and the self the self back mm. to life we need to go back to where in that that state where it was broken because we mm. were in that mm. non ordinary state when we were open we were receptive we were trusting mm. and and it got broken mm. something came in that Interrupted that process. We can't fix that process by talking about it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We have to be in a very similar state in order to find the right connection Mm -hmm. to repair it. Mm -hmm. So which brings me back to the way I like to work with the body and trauma is that to bring the body to state where the person is in that non-ordinary state, where they feel Like you say, they're both aware of themselves and feeling connected with these with this flow of images and memories and experiences. And they're not in them, but they can, it's like a lucid dream where you are like, Yeah, I am dreaming, and some of these images are terrible, some of them are beautiful, but I know that I'm here, I know I'm safe in my body, and I'm just looking at these things. So to find meaning and structure and connection in these, in this, in this flow and to put things back the way, sort of the way they're supposed to be, which again is an intuitive process that comes Mm -hmm, from, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that comes from the body. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I've seen amazing things happen when people get into that state. Again, you can get into that state directly. With psychedelics or with breath work and also through touch. Mm-hmm. Because again, the baby enters that state or stays in that state with the parent through touch. Mm-hmm. It's the touch that tells the baby it's safe. It's okay. It's, there is a trust. There is, there is care. There is nourishment. Mm-hmm. There is hope.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So why not use touch to go back into that place to find safety and hope? Mm-hmm. And allow the person to use their own innate wisdom to find the healing, mm-hmm. to trust that. That is possible.
0: So a couple of really important questions here and frame, framing around the touch and how you've come to this in your mm-hmm. own work, really acknowledging here the the difficulty of working therapeutically with people historically in the present and including touch, Mm -hmm. especially from men, just throwing this stuff in there. And you have training in sexological body work and somatic sex education. How did that training, like maybe you were shifting into the, maybe you already had a lot of these thoughts anyway. I'm curious about that, but how did that training support you in that or bring you to some of this? Yeah,
1: just that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that question. As I was going through my psychotherapy education and practice, mm. I got in contact with new ways of, um, new approaches to psychotherapy. And one of them was these different derivatives of mind-body Practices like uh, somatic experiencing and similar things. There were different versions of that in the early 2000s. And um, those made sense to me, but still they were all in the verbal level.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, it made sense to me in the sense that they they brought the body into the conversation. So mm-hmm. the person's awareness of themselves mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Into the session, mm-hmm. we were not talking abstract about things that happened and things mm-hmm. that they wish for and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And I'm not knocking, you know, mm-hmm. CBT mm-hmm. and cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy and stuff like. That, but those things are useful. Everything is useful to some extent for some people. So
0: it's kind of interesting that you're working in a therapy where there was no touch,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and yet your interest like came from this this something inside the body, this wisdom inside your body as yeah. well. So there's a.
1: Yeah. I I think I was, I was sort of, I was in a, in a subconscious way. I was sort of shifting more closer and closer towards finding out more about the body. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, there were a lot of sort of body based practices that were going along right along from the beginning of psychotherapy since Freud and before. And they were sort of, they were going more and more underground. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes more above ground and, and then they would go under again because of, especially in the 70s and 80s they yeah. sort of the the scandals and the yeah
0: and people have been imprisoned for for this kind of work as well and it's it's disrupted yeah. people's lives like there's a real um re- really good reasons for not pursuing this way of being, mm-hmm. of thinking
1: yeah. yeah so slowly over time i got more interested in working with the body and then when i discovered sexological body work i found out I mean, first of all, I was through my my own personal process, I was dealing with my own struggles through sort of sexuality and relationship issues and trauma and so on and so forth. I was trying to figure things out as I was trying to help other people. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and then when I found a Sexological Bodywork, I found myself being a client to it first. And when I experienced it, it made so much sense to me, sort of in, in it felt like, yeah, this is right. This is the right thing for me. And because it was such a direct experience of feeling embodied and healing something that had been there for a long time, yeah. it made a lot of sense to me to find some way of reconciling it with the normal, conventional psychotherapy practice. And it took me a while to weave the two together. The, the trauma work, which is, has been there in different ways in the conventional psychotherapy and the somatic sex education or sex large body work approach, which is one way touch. It is for the client, client centered. What I calls it the non directive touch, mm-hmm. a touch that comes solely from requested by the client, because the client is in direct contact with their own body, they can yeah, yeah. say, move here, move there, and so on. So using that innate wisdom of the client mm-hmm. to direct a touch, mm-hmm. and knowing how the trauma impacts the body, yeah, yeah, and how the healing takes process, mm-hmm. bringing those and weaving them together, mm-hmm. that took some time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and along the way, I mean, again, Looking at the body, and it made sense to me that this this skin that we have, this is like our main way of contacting each other.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, we we were we were made from a piece of skin. I mean, when when we, we are when we are conceived, in the first couple of weeks, we are just a bunch of cells that spread and spread and spread becomes a little piece of skin, and that that folds and yeah, we become you know outer body and inner body, and so on and so forth, and mm-hmm. And that's our first sense. That's our biggest sense. That's our, the sense that is so, so present. That's mm-hmm. so much there that we mm-hmm. are surrounded by. We are surrounded by our skin. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why we don't notice it. Maybe it is like the water for the fish. The fish doesn't understand, <laughs> doesn't see the water.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and of course, over time, the skin has also become a source of, how can I say, so all the negative negativity historically, yeah. you know, mainly through power structures mm. like organized religion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, you know, the skin and therefore the body, therefore the touch, mm-hmm. therefore pleasure, mm. uh, dirty, debased, sinful, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, taboo. And in order to reach, you know, higher states, we need to forget about the body and
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and starve ourselves. Yeah, which you know, I think we're coming around to realizing that no, it was all done for the purpose of gaining more and more power, and
2: yeah,
1: and we need to go, we need to to choose other ways.
2: Yeah,
0: and but then the problem of the idea that this is done for the purpose of gaining power it negatively impacts everybody, even the organization that might be trying to gain power, it also negatively impacts everybody mm-hmm. that is a part of that. And we're all a part of both mm-hmm. both sides of that, if, if you want to make it binary. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we all participate in it in different ways.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we have internalized that sense of badness or disgust mm-hmm. or rejection of mm-hmm. the body, and therefore mm-hmm. we we live in our more sort of structured, political mm-hmm. left brain, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, more practical, worldly kind of mm-hmm. material existence.
0: Yeah, and actually that reminds me of something I wanted to come back to that you said earlier about this, I think, I'm not going to use the words you used because I can't remember them, but this understanding in yourself that you were disembodied Until your first child, what age around were you when your first child was born?
1: I was 29.
0: 29. That's interesting in itself, right? That it took something, which is a huge impact on anyone's life, having a child, that brought you back into the body, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all different, but for some of us, it might be 50 until we feel or never that we feel a sense of embodiment and not even having an awareness. Of that, perhaps I find that really interesting. Just for anybody listening to understand that this is really, probably, really common and
1: unacknowledged. It is very common. I find it's it's hard to to describe how it feels to be in your body. Again, you know, trying to verbally bring someone's mind close to this is how it is. You yeah. can describe it. You can use so many words, but. Once you experience it, you get it in your body. And until then, it's a process. Yeah. Yes, it started for me, started at that age. And I mean, mm-hmm. before that, it was happening in fits and starts here and mm-hmm. there. And at that point, it became a sort of a more of a, a constant thread in my life mm-hmm. of that, of that sort of sense of, Oh, I got to be here. I got to mm-hmm. be present. How does it feel? Mm-hmm. So on. So now imagine if you're from 29 to 54, again, it took another long process of discovering different things and feeling into different things and how it feels to be here and also uh, the pain of being here. And uh, once once I got there at 54, within that session of somatic sex Mm. education, Mm. body work, feeling the complete pleasure of being in my body Mm. and feeling my Mm. body and being present to it, not Worrying about the past or future, being here right here and sensing my body fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that took a long, long process, and it, it launched another phase of okay. If that is an ideal state or near ideal state that I want, how how can I how can I get there? Yeah. And as I'm getting there, how can I bring other people into that state? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I want to say something about practicing this. Way of therapy Mm -hmm. as a man.
0: Yeah, cool. um,
1: Because I'm aware that most of my clients are female. Like most psychotherapy clients are female, and because I think mostly men have trouble asking for help and saying there's something wrong. I need help with it. It's it's getting better. We are getting better. Yeah. And also, I'm aware that most hurt and pain caused on the planet. It's been done by men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And whatever the reason for that is, that's the reality now. And as a man coming to say, hey, I'm here to help, that comes with a lot of baggage, negative and positive. The positive part of it is that in, in the same vein as I was saying that to heal the rupture that happened in that non-ordinary state, we need to go back and find a spot and reconnect the threads. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: I think doing this as a man and working with my clients in that way allows them to experience the healing in the context, in the relationship, in the context of a safe relationship with a man.
2: Yeah.
1: And that, that has a lot of value. And of course, that's, you know, everybody who approaches me to to work with them or for them has that sense, has that sort of willingness, has mm-hmm. that intuitive sense sometimes, and sometimes quite forefront of their awareness mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. this is what happened and I, I want to work with a man for that exact mm-hmm. same reason. Mm-hmm. So I think of myself as a sort of a safe trigger mm-hmm. for a lot, a lot of my clients that I, mm-hmm. I'm aware of that and I acknowledge that. We are mm-hmm. constantly putting that, right there in in, in the room as to, you know, how does it feel to be Mm. here Mm. with me, Mm. you know, addressing this Mm. stuff. Mm. So, again, it doesn't work for all eight billion of us, (laughs) but it works for some.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's important. One other thing I was thinking when you were talking about sexological bodywork and somatic sex education, They're both a little different. Mm -hmm. They both have different umbrellas in a way. I'm touching on the somatic sex education part because you talked about one-way touch. Mm -hmm. So working therapeutically with somebody with touch can already be a a challenge in the framework of, like, the cultures that we're living in. Somatic sex education can include reciprocal touch. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is that something that you work with? It's an edgy kind of question.
1: Yeah, I understand that the I I see the edges of it because I have come in sort of contact with different practitioners, with practice in diff- in yeah. you know in, in those ways. And no, for me it is a one-way touch. Mm-hmm. You see that the 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 edginess or the riskiness of it is that because in somatic sex education, the concepts of that are present in the wheel of consent. Yeah. Are quite present, and that's the, the the essential question in consent: is who is it for? Yeah. What do I want? Yeah. How do I ask for it? Yeah. Uh, how do I receive it? And who is it for, really? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when when there is confusion in the culture around touch, and also around touch from a man, mm-hmm. and also in just the sort of a so called normal sexual activities between mm-hmm. different sexes. When there is mutual touch, Mm -hmm. there is no clarity around what do I want, how do I receive what I want. Mm -hmm. Most people go along with what they should be wanting, they should be receiving, Mm -hmm. they should be happy with, and so on and so forth. So it becomes very confusing. So we need, I need in my practice to establish a lot of clarity, a lot of assurance around this is for you. Yeah, I'm here to. Find out what you want, mm-hmm. and most most of my clients, when they arrive they when they hear that, they say, "What if I don't know what I want?
2: Yeah,
1: or this is the first time anybody has asked me that question, right So going from that point mm. to mutual touch, that's uh, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a ten thousand mile yeah. journey, yeah. so yes. no i haven't I haven't okay. been there yet.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I bring that in just to like talk about a little the complexity of what is somatic sex education, what mm. is therapeutic and the complexities inherent in touch, one-way touch is mm-hmm. has carries so much complexity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And like the will of consent is like a foundational part of the training to help yes. clarify and organize that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, I mean, if I can make a sort of an example from sort of conventional psychotherapy, if I go to see a counselor and talk about my life mm. and sort of be emotionally open, mm. I don't really find any use in them opening up and telling me about their life. I'm mm-hmm. not there to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And so that also is a, a one way listening.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Right. That's, that's a good. I
1: mean, there, there, there might be some. Self-disclosure on the part of the counselor or mm-hmm. therapist, mm-hmm. you know, so long as it's useful mm-hmm. to the to the client, I'm I might in in a session mm-hmm. that might include body work or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll go further into that. But the thing is that my body work sessions may not actually have include any touch. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then the main point of the work is that the body, mm-hmm. the physicality mm-hmm. of the body, is in the conversation mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. The possibility of touch, mm-hmm. if the client wants it, mm-hmm. is always there. Mm-hmm. So that adds a sort of huge dimension and depth to mm-hmm. the work itself, mm-hmm. even if it mm-hmm. might never happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in terms of self-disclosure, I might bring up things that are I'm feeling, I'm sensing yeah. are happening to me that mm-hmm. I I, th- I think it's important to the relationship, to the safety of the yeah, space, and yeah, so on. Yeah. To bring up to the extent that is useful again mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the client, mm-hmm. but it's it should mm-hmm. never be about me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think I also bring up the two-way touch because I've seen and had in my own practice people that don't have touch in their life that have never had relationship at all and have had pretty profound childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. sexual trauma, and having worked with platonic touch, cuddling, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, even reciprocal in that doesn't make sense because if it's for the client, what is reciprocity then? In in the sense of, like, if if I'm cuddling a client or if I'm cuddling with a friend, like, where is reciprocity and what is the difference between those two kinds of reciprocity?
1: I'm curious about in, in those situations mm. what your experience is uh, in terms of the pleasure that exists there. Is the pleasure for you? Are you taking pleasure from the touch mm-hmm. for you? Or are you participating in the touch in the way that allows the client to experience something that they need to experience in order to fill in the gaps and Mm -hmm. and heal that Mm -hmm. rupture that Mm -hmm. that happened Mm -hmm. um, in terms of sort of safety of the touch? Mm -hmm. I think that that's a that's a big factor in there for me. It's like you know Mm -hmm. an example that often is used, like if you see people two people hugging. You don't know who the hug is for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're hugging. Maybe they're the one. One of them is hugging the other one to come to mm-hmm. comfort them. Maybe mm-hmm. the other one is hugging the, this person because mm-hmm. they think they're obligated, or mm-hmm. maybe they're just you know connecting mm-hmm. uh, uh, physically like that. that's who knows. Mm-hmm. But if we sort of zero in on what their intention is and mm-hmm. what their thought is mm-hmm. around this, the hug, then we can find out more. Okay, mm-hmm. who is giving? Who's mm-hmm. receiving? Who's taking?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think in that kind of work, the cuddling, just as a word, it's not a great word for it. It's really about, first of all, developing a language like, are you comfortable? How would you like to be? How would you like to be held? And then in that holding, especially if a person hasn't had much physical touch in their life, except from the parents a long Mm -hmm. time ago, it's like, can you feel your heartbeat? Can you feel my heartbeat? Mm -hmm. that skin-to-skin connection. Mm -hmm. Can you feel my breath? Can you feel your breath? Can you stay in your body and feel my body?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So it's very, very directed and lots of stillness or conversation that comes up from the other person. Mm
1: -hmm. right? So by doing that, you're bringing their awareness to their physical experience of their body.
0: Mm -hmm. And that they're in their body right now and I found that they often can't feel my body, so they'll need certain touch, mm-hmm. right?
1: To wake up the the sense.
0: They can feel me with their hands, but not with their back or their chest. And to know that I'm a real person, I, there's a lot of this often that goes, just like a baby, right? Uh-huh. Tapping the body.
2: Uh-huh. Oh.
1: Yeah. By touching, you're giving them a sense of the skin. hmm
2: hmm Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: And and that touch, as it wakes up the skin, it also can bring up memories yeah. of the touch that was there mm-hmm. or the, and wasn't wanted, or the yeah. touch that wasn't yeah. there, but yeah. was wanted.
0: And hence the reminder, you're here, can you feel your body now? Can you mm-hmm. feel me? Do you understand that I'm here with you mm-hmm. and it's my body? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that's that's a... In 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 the work that I do, in the way that that I work, there's a lot of that Mm. continuously bringing attention, focus to what is happening right now. Yeah. What is the experience of the physical experience of connection and Mm. touch, Mm. and also the other layers of sort of the emotional, memory, thoughts, beliefs, shame, fear, all of those things that come up. Yeah. And the, the the thing about connection is. An, is an interesting one to me because the way we make connection and contact with the with the baby is not necessarily always through touch mm-hmm. we gaze at the baby mm-hmm. with uh, maybe with love hopefully with love with adoration yeah uh, we or we just look at the baby as like hmm what's the baby doing or we are there, we coo and we speak and we sing and so on to the, to the baby. So through our, our, our voices, through yeah. our sounds. So I mean, these four ways of making contact with the body mm-hmm. through just neutral witnessing, through gazing with an intention, mm-hmm. through voice and through touch.
0: Play as well. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. So we, 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 we do the same thing in. With I do the same thing with clients. I mean, they 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 want to be touched, or they want to be they want to hear something. Mm-hmm. My, my voice saying some words. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- mm-hmm. Do they want me to look at them mm-hmm. with a certain intention, mm-hmm. or do they want me to just be there while they are making contact with themselves when they are observing themselves? Maybe they 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 touch themselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs>
0: And so you've been writing a book. Yes. Can you share a little bit about about that?
1: Yeah, it's been a it's been a long process of writing about what I do, and I find that my writing of the book hasn't wasn't about oh this is what I know about my work, but it's been more about like well, um, let me discover how I work <laughs> through writing about it, mm-hmm. and it's 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 been quite helpful to myself to write it. And it's um, basically about how I think about the body and how I think about touch and what the connection is between touch and memory, touch mm-hmm. and, and body and trauma. And a major foundational piece for me is this thing that I call the pleasure process, which is about what we sense in our bodies, a sensation that I have, that I feel in my body and when it comes into my awareness, it asks for something, it asks for a response. It's it's, it's a desire now.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And then that desire, if it's responded to in the right way, if it's met, then it creates pleasure. Mm-hmm. So that process of sensation, desire, and response is something that we go through constantly. I mean, ba- a baby goes constantly through that process mm-hmm. of, I feel cold. I call and I'm held. Now it's warm and pleasurable. Next, next, next. So we go move through those things, levels of pleasure, slowly, and we go higher and higher. Just like Maslow's, you know, Mm -hmm. levels of 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 needs that we go from sort of basic physical up to Mm -hmm. all the way to actualization, Mm so spirituality and all that. So that that's that's a major piece for me. That's the that's the foundation. Of the work. Mm. Because once we believe as human beings that we have bodies that sense life, and those sensations, they turn into desires, and desires need to be called for a response. And the more perfect the response is, the closer to perfection it is, Mm. the deeper the pleasure. And the closer we are to that state of you know evolving into that sense of peace and hope and oneness like we mm-hmm. we, we spoke about and that is the hard part mm-hmm. it is the hard mm-hmm. bit of the work for a lot of us mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. accept that this body is real Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I have, and what I sense mm-hmm. in it is real, and it needs a response because we either didn't get the right response, we sort of we got neglected, or we got pushed away with violence that you shouldn't want it. That's too much, or whatever it was. So we don't know where the line is. Mm-hmm. We don't know how this body really speaks. You know, we don't know how to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the that's the major part of the work. Yeah. And um what I'm aiming for is to um like start from there mm-hmm. and go to that sort of ideal place of okay now we can just immerse ourselves in the, in the body and dance and in it and mm-hmm. be with it to mm-hmm. until we be enter that non ordinary state. Yeah of consciousness and we connect with something beyond ourselves, beyond the body, to the spirit.
0: Yeah. And even that beginning step is not such a beginning step. Like In working with people, having the client understand that they can listen to their bodies and the body has a question, the body does have a place that wants to be touched or not touched. Mm -hmm. The body has a desire and it might take time. And the more we respond to that desire, the more we can be in connection with it. Yes. And then we come to a place where we can actually start understanding our authentic desires and then actually asking for them. Mm -hmm. And even being able to ask for them when we think they won't be met. Mm -hmm. And how important that is.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up an important point because just seeing the desire noticing the sensations and seeing the desire in it is requires a level of acceptance and empathy for ourselves yeah even though we may not ask for it even though if we ask for it we may not get it at least we have seen it we have, at least we have validated yeah, yeah oh, you know what my forearm is itchy, and I'm going to scratch it. Yeah. I need to. I need to scratch it, but I can't. You know, on my back is itchy. I can't reach it, <laughs> and I can't ask anybody to do it. But I can feel that it is. It is asking for a scratch, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and then if I if I find somebody who I'm, I, you know, I can trust. Can you do that a little bit to the left, a little bit harder, a little bit more nail, and so on? Mm-hmm. So that's and that brings more and more pleasure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, but it it is yeah it is a long process.
0: Yeah. It, definitely is yeah and if for example i'm not really embodied at all i won't understand that because i don't know how to feel that it sounds like a simple thing but it's actually a very deep process
1: yes it is it is and it all for me i've learned to start with bringing people's attention to their breath because let's say we start a sort of a A session with a Mm -hmm. bit talking, just like any counseling session. You come in, you sit down, Mm -hmm. and we just start with, you know, very general things. How's the weather, the traffic, doesn't that, Mm -hmm. what brings you here, and so on and so forth. And then you start talking about something that is maybe a little bit hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll ask you about uh, how is your breathing right now? And just noticing that you, you, it's shallow or I'm holding my breath because this is hard, because this is scary, mm. that starts to make the connection between, oh, how I'm feeling actually comes from the body and exists in yeah. the body and mm. has some impact on the way I mm. am in my body. Mm. And that st- slowly starts to connect the dots for mm. them. That is not just some abstract thought out there.
0: And I love that you're talking about connecting to the breath because as you're talking about it, I'm sitting listening and I'm connecting to my breath. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, how sweet. <laughs> yeah, Moving my legs, getting comfortable.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. As soon as I mention breath in any conversation, people, I mean, people who are listening to this, I'm sure they they, they notice that, oh, I was so engrossed in this conversation I forgot to breathe.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: And then there's another part of you that I don't know very much about psychedelics. Mm -hmm. What is your personal experience with that? And has it been supportive to you in your life? It's a big question.
1: Yeah, I'd say for the first 39 years of my life, I was totally, I would say, against or afraid of any kind of, um, yeah, any kind of substance. Mm And that would sort of alter my mind in that way. But then due to circumstances, I finally gave in and then tried some MDMA. And what happened then was that I experienced this sudden sense of peace. I always talk about it in terms of, I'm very sensitive to the humming and buzzing of things like the fridge is buzzing over there and I can hear it, that too, the computer. And as if the buzzing stopped, all of a sudden there was no noise in my head,
2: mm-hmm. and it was like, "Huh,
1: actually, I can, you know, I can feel my breath now. I can actually notice that my breath goes in and out, in and out." It was it brought me into my body in the, in a way that nothing else had before. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a mental buzz that was I think it was sort of distracting me from my body. Yeah. Most psychedelics have a way of bringing you suddenly and pushing pushing you into that space of okay, here you are. Here is your body. Just notice notice yourself notice everything. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happens with a lot of them. So um, MDMA is is one of those. I mean that's mm-hmm. why like in the 80s and 90s it was the thing for and earlier it was the thing for people in relationships just to be here mm-hmm. and feel mm-hmm. how you feel and talk mm-hmm. to your or be with mm-hmm. your your partners and
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's that's what that my experience was it was gentle yeah and it was kind of something that it was doing to me and for me mm-hmm. and it was I didn't have to mm-hmm. make any effort mm-hmm. to be like that yeah. and that experience was sort of gave me a baseline for oh a new baseline mm-hmm. I could be like that, and that feels wonderful. I could yeah. be like that, yeah. and in my day with my partner, with my children, and just feel like, huh, I can be here, and it's okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As opposed to, oh, um, there's something else I need to do. You know, I need to worry about this or that, or this is not this has gone too too long, and so on. So, yeah, it gave me a sense of okay, stop, slow down, rest be here. Yeah. So that helped me sort of personally and of course professionally just sort of sense of calm and patience and yeah, yeah. silence. Yeah. helped. And later on uh I um I experienced uh, m- uh, mushrooms, mag- magic mushrooms as well, which was another level of being in that state and and receiving direct knowledge mm-hmm. from something beyond me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was very sort of clarifying and helpful to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think they they have a place in in healing practice, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Although it's complicated because again, all the and prejudices and yeah. different approaches to them, mm-hmm. just like as it is with touch, yeah, yeah, and sexuality. So it it needs it needs a lot of clarification and 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 work towards that. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what you think about this when I think about my experience in psychedelic spaces and also being held in spaces and also in in groups is one thing that's been really important to me is that psychedelics, they can open a door for us. And it's really important that whatever that door is, that it's in a space where that door can open and we can see that or feel that in our Mm -hmm. bodies. Mm -hmm. And for me, a lot of the doors that it's opened has been to a state of mm, ecstasy or bliss, right? Yeah. And it can be erotic. And for me that does feel erotic, whether my genitals are involved or not. Mm -hmm. It's a whole body feeling. And then it's like if somebody's going to sit for me, or be with me professionally in that space, my whole sexual self has to be welcomed in or Mm -hmm. else it's not useful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's in the whole upswing of interest in psychedelics and psychedelic training, um, something that really needs to come into that conversation on a very deep level. How do we hold space for people sexually in that space, what can we do to support the person rather than cause further harm?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And
0: I think that, like somatic sex education, some of the learnings in that and the ways that we hold space for people in the erotic are of incredible value to that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's a multifaceted thing that, that, yeah. that the point that you're bringing up. One thing I want to say about that is that um, again going back to sort of conventional mm. psychotherapy, yeah, what I know is that sexual challenges and sexual sexuality is is a big item in everybody's mind. yeah it's either we want to sort of put it away and forget about it or we want to like have more of it in our life. but mm-hmm. it is it is the topic yeah. but people who go to uh, to ther- into therapy, they assess the comfort level of the therapist in order to bring up sexual matters.
0: Absolutely. And, and so <laughs> I do time, it myself.
1: <laughs> most of the time they don't because they don't feel they, they don't they don't they don't feel like there's enough space for it that the 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 counselor or therapist can hold the space mm-hmm. for it or it will overburden them or something.
0: Or that they actually don't have the skills to to hear that or to even be useful for mm-hmm. it. Yeah.
1: So you yeah. can tell, like from in first first four seconds, you can say, Yeah, this person is not gonna hear that stuff. I'm gonna talk about what's wrong, you know, with my work or whatever. Yep. So that's that's there's that. So if we come to a place of being able to hold space for all emotions and qualities that emerge mm-hmm. from the person in a safe space, whether it's Anger or sadness or grief mm-hmm. or joy mm-hmm. or sexual desire, if we can hold space mm-hmm. for all mm-hmm. of that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then we can hold the whole the whole person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so the whole person is allowed and is invited and encouraged in this space rather than only like seventy five percent of them,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: so when we come into um, space or a context where touch and the body is included mm. Mm. in the conversation mm. and in the in the work itself, then h- how do we allow that sexual arousal, sexual desire to present itself or express itself? Mm. Again, the question of consent, mm-hmm. intention, who it is for, Mm -hmm. who is serving and who is receiving, who is Mm -hmm. taking, Mm -hmm. who is allowing. All of those things Mm -hmm. are questions Mm -hmm. that need to Mm be clear and they don't become clear in the psychedelic session. They become clear before. Before. (laughs) Way
0: before. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And very clear. Like, Mm -hmm. if if this happens, this won't. Like, this is welcome. This is something that Mm -hmm. I will not engage in. Yes.
1: Yeah. that 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 has to be. And it also... When for the client, when mm. it is clear as that the, this, this is for them,
2: yeah,
1: that brings safety yeah. into the space. Yeah. Then they can be themselves and they know in advance that wanting this or asking for this mm. is allowed. Mm. You may not get the response mm. that that thing requires because of the very... Uh, nature of the practice it's one way it's for you and it's you know it has a purpose in that sense but seeing it acknowledging it validating it Mm, mm, i think it's important having mm, empathy for it mm, is important mm, and not shaming it
0: mm. and one important thing i've noticed as a part of that process for me personally is because i have received the kinds of containers that i need and spoken to people really clearly about what what might happen with me in those states, I've really come to this real trust that I can sit, I can experience absolute pleasure and ecstasy and joy and orgasm, and I can do it and it's mine. Mm -hmm. I'm not reaching for the other person. I'm not afraid of it. And I can actually be in space with people and feel that. I can express it in different ways depending on the container but they're not disruptive expressions necessarily. So it's like this held. And, and for me, that was a really important learning. I remember the first time somebody held space for me in that, and it was a man, and he did not want to take it. And that was the biggest learning. He did for me. not
1: engage in that. He did
0: not engage in it. Yeah. And it felt so, it was so healing and safe. I thought, wow, I'm allowed to feel this. And there's a man there, and he's not going to try I'm not inviting him into this. Mm -hmm. Because I be prior to that, I had the feeling that if I felt that, I don't want it to be an invitation, but it is an invitation. Like if I feel that good, I deserve what I get, even if I don't want it.
1: Uh right? Right. So that that is that is a great example of intentionally. And consciously putting yourself mm-hmm. in a state where you feel both—you yeah. feel the safety yeah. of the situation of the relationship—and you're in that state where you are completely open and receptive to the yeah. sort of the, yeah. the totality of that emotion that is rising. Yeah. And then you have the choice there. Yeah. You see it clearly, and when it when it, it connects, when you can actually go there mm-hmm. in full safety. Mm-hmm. That is healing.
2: Yeah.
0: And in that time, it was really healing. I didn't understand quite at the time how it kind of just kind of unfolded itself. Mm -hmm. It was a really big step for me. But just understanding that my pleasure and bliss are are welcome and safe in the world. Yes.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, And thank you for that, because that's a belief that breaks for a lot of people. As a result of trauma, because we are following, pursuing pleasure in our natural state with somebody we trust, and they betray us. And then from then on, it's like, it's not safe. They're dangerous. You know, this group of people are dangerous. Mm-hmm. This kind of behavior is mm-hmm. disgusting or dangerous, mm-hmm. and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. If we can bring ourselves into that state in a safe container in a safe relational context then intentionally choose to to go there to see the parts and to by choice mm. go in the direction mm. that we wanted to go we were supposed mm. to go into mm. and not where we, what we were pushed into mm. Good for you. That's uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an amazing experience.
0: I wouldn't say I chose it. I had been in that space with other people, and my body did not allow itself to go into that state. Mm-hmm. But when it did with this person in a particularly magnificently huge way, where I felt like I was the universe having an orgasm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I realized that it did that because my body knew that this person was safe. So my mind knew that other people have been safe, but my body did not agree.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yes. We want other people to be safe, mm-hmm. right? But they're not necessarily but, safe. <laughs> no. It's, it's, I mean, like they say, but 87% of what we get from other people is unconscious. We receive all the information from other yes. people about who yes. they are and what they are about yes. through non-verbal ways. Yeah. So our body knows, our nervous system knows Mm. before Mm. our Mm. brain knows. Mm. And we, some you know, what people say about, you know, the gut sense, Mm. you know, you listen to Mm. somebody, Mm. you say, ah, I don't quite Mm. trust what Mm. they're saying. Mm. Well, that's the, that 87, part of that 87% Mm. of, Mm. you don't know why you can't trust somebody, Mm. but Mm. you say, ah, I don't quite. So that's, that sounds like that's what happened in this situation. That 87% was like, go there, girl, (laughs) you can do it.
0: I I think about this often because I think, huh, I had a hard time with my family. When I went into the world to school, if it was only my family in the world that were traumatized, I would have found a lot of healing and repair in that space. But then I went to school and it's like, huh, what's worse, my family or school? Mm. (laughs) And it's kind of the same with this particular person. I think of him, it's, it's a very rare quality he has. We all have the capacity, but until we experience that from another person, it's very hard to know what it is inside ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's the difficulty. And the more of us that feel that, the more that we can bring it into the world with others.
1: That That's a beautiful, beautiful point, because um, what you're saying is that we really get to know ourselves in relationship yeah. to others. We see yeah. our reflection, we bump into others, and we have conflicts, or we sort of, we, basically mm-hmm. we we are, in a way, sk- when this, our skins touch, our emotional skins touch, our mm-hmm. spiritual mm-hmm. skins touch, mm-hmm. we get mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. edges, or yeah. we get to define ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you were saying, you know, by tapping on the different parts of your body, mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. person gets to know. Yeah, yeah the limits of their what, what their body is like.
0: And tapping on the parts of the body is such a simple exercise. And it, mm-hmm. I remember when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, I remember like spending weeks doing it and crying and being like, oh, this is my boundary. Yeah. It, it sounds simple, but none of this is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is very simple. And the, the simplicity of it is that we are a skin bag full of water and electric- electricity that we get, that we learn about the world through our senses. Yeah. If we use our senses, <laughs> let's come back to our senses, yeah. and use our senses in order to find what this body is and what it's capable of. Mm-hmm. If we start from there, from that mm-hmm. basis, which is very basic, again, because mm-hmm. it's so basic we forget about it, mm-hmm. then we can rise up from there and reach higher and higher levels mm-hmm. so that we can go beyond the body. I think that's mm-hmm. that's my purpose. Yeah. I recommend it for the rest of the 8 billion people but
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when I think about psychedelic experiences for me personally, it's like they are often spaces where my body is finally allowed to speak and ask for things mm-hmm. in ways that I might have been preventing without wanting to or realizing, but just protection and fear.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's 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 a great opening because that, that's um, what I'm thinking about. it brings to my mind is in the sort of a more, in the new so-called psychedelic renaissance mm-hmm. and the protocols and the ethical discussions about it and so on, yeah. we talk about how touch has to be pre-negotiated, mm-hmm. which has a lot of validity to it, mm-hmm. um, but... There's, I think there's another side, another aspect to it, which was, we came out in what you said, is that if I have lived with my trauma and I have been afraid to ask for what I want and then I enter this space, this psychedelic, this Mm -hmm. non-ordinary state of consciousness Mm -hmm. in which I'm aware of Mm -hmm. where I am, I'm aware of myself, Mm -hmm. and I have less fear of, asking for what I want, mm-hmm. therefore I can express it. Mm-hmm. If I'm in that state, do I have the right, is it right to ask for a touch that wasn't negotiated? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if that is negotiated, mm-hmm. if if beforehand, if mm-hmm. you say, look, with all the work that we have done, all the prep work that we mm-hmm. have yeah. done, yeah. you know that you're gonna enter this space, mm-hmm mental space in which you're going to be more in touch with your body. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel more Mm -hmm. of yourself Mm -hmm. and you're going to recognize Mm -hmm. more of your sensations Mm -hmm. and desires. Mm -hmm. And you're free to ask for what you want Mm -hmm. in that state Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because that is an authentic desire and authentic Mm -hmm. ask. Mm -hmm. And if the person goes into it again with full consciousness Mm -hmm. around, okay, this is what is possible. Mm I think that is that that needs to be part of the conversation now, part of sort of the yeah. ethics of the practice of touch in psychedelic space.
0: I think with that particular example, I think there is the idea of the psychedelics not being a one-off thing; mm-hmm. like it is a process of learning how to be in that space. It's a process of it's a process. It's a practice. It can become a practice for some people. Like, how do I bring this into my life? So. Ask for whatever you want in that space and what we negotiate at the beginning remains, but please ask for everything and then they might be things that we change to in the next session mm-hmm. to keep it really like as a gradated practice that you can bring into your life slowly, like not this huge massive shift that's going to disrupt everything in your life. I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to leave my partner, I'm going to move to this country. It's more like right. Bring it into your relationships that you have now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be a an organic mm-hmm. growth mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the. It's a weave mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. in a way that is like you say, it's not disruptive, it's not mm-hmm. sudden, mm-hmm. and it is a sustainable mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. that you prepare for it, mm-hmm. you go into mm-hmm. it, and after mm-hmm. that you live with... Mm-hmm. The gains from mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, I went to this place this weekend mm-hmm. and I had this huge experience. I don't remember half of it. And the other half of it was just kind of like it's crazy stuff that happened <laughs> and I don't know what to do with it. And <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, bring it in and bring it back with you and see how you can mm-hmm. integrate mm-hmm. and incorporate it into your life mm-hmm. in a way that is substantially meaningful. Mm-hmm. Because you go into those places mm-hmm. where the the teachings and the Qualities that you're shown, you're given—they mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. important to you.
0: Mm-hmm. And some of the requests might not be possible in that particular therapeutic relationship,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: to remember that request and honor it might be something that you actually want in your life or from somebody else.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes to to be to go into that space and recognize that I have this desire.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm told that I can be okay with it. I can be okay with voicing it. Yeah and then see how that feels, mm-hmm. and then come back and see how, how does that feel if I did that in my normal consensual reality.
2: hmm hmm mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a practice I love with my own clients that I have too. This is the container. Please ask for what you want. If it's outside of the container, the question is still welcome. I will thank you for the question and say no. So it's a really good practice also of receiving a no for something you really want.
1: Well, your clients are very lucky to have you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so that brings me to another really important point, genital touch. What is the importance of that? How is that relevant?
1: Well, let me tell you something, a funny experience that happened for me was that I, um, I started writing about my work. Uh, quite some time ago, and finally, some point last year, I gave my first draft to someone who to give me her opinion on the that whole text. And she read it, and uh, she was brilliant. After, like, she had no experience with my work, and when she read it, she said, "So you're saying that erotic touch can be healing?" And it's sort of like a. <laughs> <laughs> it was a funny moment for for me. Was that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but I haven't really said it.
0: Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> it was one of those things like you're when you talk to someone who is sort of naive in that sense, naive to the work, they can ask very good questions.
0: Of things that you thought were obvious. was obvious, so, yes. I
1: thought like, that's what I'm saying, but no, I haven't said it. Mm-hmm. So might as well say it. Mm-hmm. And in answer to your question about genital touch... For one thing, the genitals are an important part of the body. Mm -hmm. And because of so many different factors over our history, genitals have become this source of negative experiences, judgments, rules, protocols, and Mm -hmm. punishments, and so on and so forth. But we can't get away from them. I mean, everywhere you look and every part of the culture... Subcultures, religions, institutions, and so on. We either want to just remove the genitals from the conversation and, and forget about it, Mm -hmm. deny it, or we want to go at the other extreme. We want to go sort of towards satisfying responding to the genitals as much as possible. And in, you know, in relationship problems that come up when really everything comes to a head, it's about what happens to our genitals. You know, how do how do we touch each other? How do yeah. we, it's like our sex life.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And a lot of shame is attached to them, a lot a lot of uh, fear as a result of traumatic mm-hmm. experiences. And because of those traumatic experiences, we get disconnected from ourselves. I want to circle back to what I said about this, the physicality of our bodies mm-hmm. connect with other levels and layers our existence, our emotional or spiritual existence. And so our genitals on the physical level are for sexual activity and physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. But on, a, on another level, they're about our creative force. Our erotic life, our erotic f- force is really about how we are in the world, how we interact, how we create how we engage with, with this life that goes beyond the physicality of it. So if we are disconnected on the physical level mm-hmm. and on the belief and emotional level, we are talking about how afraid we are mm-hmm. or how disconnected and how ashamed we are, how mm-hmm. disgusted we are, mm-hmm. so on and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. Then we are disconnecting from our creative force. We are disengaging from life. You're not engaging fully as, as fully as we could. Mm-hmm. So healing ourselves and healing the body on that level, I think it opens up a door to a much deeper, much broader engagement with life. So yeah, yeah. touching the genitals in a way that responds to the authentic desire in the body that is separate different from the way you're supposed to touch somebody's genitals the way they you're allowed to and so it's it's about what the body desires in this moment and responding to that mm-hmm. i mean i've had clients who had memories of specific experiences specific mm-hmm. events in different parts of their bodies including their genitals yeah. different parts of their genitals mm-hmm. and that is important yeah it's important for them to connect with that mm. and to to heal that disruption that happened and to bring the genitals into the rest of the body and yeah. say this is this is a part of your body yeah. you're not a donut with a hole in it
2: yeah 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 thanks
0: So is there anything else? Not for now. I have one thing. Yeah. Just to wrap this up, this is something that you have on your website, Mm -hmm. and I think it's the most beautiful quote. Can I read that? Sure. Thanks. The soul feels unsafe in a frightened body. Let's prepare your body to be a home for the soul again. I just wanted to read it because it's so beautiful
1: thank you thank you for reading it
0: thank you so much for being here and spending this time and yeah
1: you're welcome thanks for the conversation i enjoyed it
0: thank you me too You can find my services for individuals both online and in person at my website in the show notes. And if you want to support my podcast, you can click on buy me a coffee. That link is also in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the third episode of Awakening the Body with your host, Rachel Charlie.